Hey, Dan. What up, guy? You're into this fintech. What's all this I'm hearing about Current? You're going to like this guy. Current is a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. Wait a second. Does that mean I don't have to drive to the bank anymore? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I manage an important part of my family's finances from one easy-to-use app. Well, I got to get this app, but where can I learn more? It's super easy. Just go to Current.com slash OK, O-K-A-Y, and download the app. That's Current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to OK Computer. I'm Dan Nathan. I am joined today by Trevor Marshall. He has been a longstanding guest on the pod. He is the CTO and co-founder of Current. And I'm also joined by his co-founder, Stuart Sop. He usually likes to talk a little macro, but we're going to talk a whole host of things as it relates to fintech, maybe some of the funding that we're seeing in the VC market, how that's opening up. There's actually a couple IPOs on the counter. You remember those things called IPOs? Those would be initial public offerings. Tasty ones. If you guys right. forget tasty ones, yeah. <laughs> There's a whole list of things. But I was wondering, the two of you, I know Trevor was only scheduled here, but I was wondering if we're like late on our rent payment or something here at the, <laughs> at the current global headquarters here where Risk Social Media, we do all of our potting. Gentlemen, welcome to your offices in our studio. Thanks for having us. Stu had a flight canceled. I go. know. Yeah. And we're like, well, it's a bad party. rain. It's a party in the back of the office. Yeah. Just so you know, yeah. when Aaron told me that and you guys could not get another flight, I actually have another friend who is stuck in like Boston, same, same trap, same sort of like weather issues or something. And he was going internationally also, and it was just a big mess. And it's weird that we live in this day and age and that can still happen here. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was the collision conference and I was keynoting over there. Yeah. And then that little storm burst came through and they canceled everything for the evening. So what I, happened to collision? Because that's a massive conference. It's massive. And I think the, the we, there was three co-hosts and the two of us couldn't make it because of that, oh, that, that little, little storm. Burst. So it's back to like 2021 conferences, like all like Zoom, you come in, in there. All right, Trevor, let's talk about this thing. I feel like you were last on the pod uh, May 10, and we talked uh, a bit about some of this kind of fascination with the public markets as it relates to just large language models and generative AI and just, just the, the tremendous like shifts that we've seen in market cap in the public markets. But we also talked a little bit about how it's like catching a little bit of fever in the private markets. And this is something that has been a bit dormant for a couple of years. Now, you guys obviously are operating a fintech company that you built from scratch. I think you guys just, what was it, your current versity? Current, what do you guys call that? Current, current holiday. Current. It's, eight, not a, eight it's not a great years. name. It's not, even a, it's not even a good name. No, it's not a good no. Name. eight years, but congrats <laughs> on yeah, that. But like all of a sudden, we're seeing like some movement again. You know, we saw some IPO. What's your guys feel? Because we've talked about this also, I think the three of us, I was like a really good beneficiary of some of the, just the exodus of Silicon Valley, at least in fintech a little bit. Talking of conferences, like MongoDB Local was just this past week. And they've always been like a, an attractant for technology here in New York. A great, another great New York company. People are getting back in person. And for data platforms in particular, everyone is talking about AI. I think like from our perspective, we have a super strong partnership with Google as well. And it's insane how accelerated they've made their roadmaps in terms of getting some of this stuff out the door. Right, can we talk about that a little bit? Okay, so when, in January, Google, I'm just looking at my fax set machine right now, it's like $117, okay? And it traded as low as $83. This is right after the chat GPT-4 came out. Remember, they, they hurried out their BARD launch. BARD, they've been working on for years. They've spent billions and billions of dollars. Google Cloud has been gaining share, right? And the whole idea is to integrate a lot of this technology that is evolving. It's always been part of the roadmap, but they didn't 
actually have the launch event that let's say ChatGPT and OpenAI did. And then Microsoft is obviously trailing on that whole sort of thing. So talk to us, what does it mean for a company like yours to have a partnership in Google and yeah. rely on them for this sort of innovation that you will ultimately use, and I'm assuming through a lot of their cloud offerings and the development that you guys do in the deployment of your products and services? At the end of the day, it trends towards, especially in that space, where your ability to train models is ultimately like the thing. And that comes down to hard, hardware, networking, and the way that you deliver that out as a product or service. Google, Amazon, these are the only guys, and in particular Google, because they've been using a lot of this tech to power their main revenue engines in, in ad serving for years. They're just the natural winners. So let me take a step back. Microsoft, for instance, they invested a couple billion in OpenAI over the last couple of years, and then that $10 billion number, this was an accelerant for them, right? They've had this market share in the single digits as it relates to search with Bing and that sort of thing. Now, they do have Azure, which is this cloud offering, which has also been gaining a lot of share in AWS. I think AWS at Amazon is down to its like lowest market share in a very long time, 33% or so. And that's ultimately one of the reasons why Amazon had been a laggard too, is like, we hadn't seen a lot of announcements in this space. So talk to us a little bit about that because you guys are always evaluating these platforms. You probably have second source for this sort of stuff. When you talk about training these models, you need as much data and as much compute as possible. Yeah, and for the general models, like it, Google's been amazing about being able to create models. They have this product called Vertex AI that we use where you're really constructing and training your own models. It is basically an, the operations behind what a lot of data scientists do just done in a cloud product. But this move towards these general models require hundreds of millions of dollars in terms of training and continual refinement. So as a customer, you don't want to do that. You don't want to be, you know, open AI. You don't want to be these the ones responsible for creating those models, what you want to do is put your own flavor on top of it, which is really a, like this thin translation layer at the edge where you're not doing a full retraining on your data. There are some companies that are going out and saying, hey, we want everything trained around just our stuff. But that's what makes this different than what has emerged in machine learning, that, that Vertex AI route up to this point. Yeah, we've been fortunate with Google to be in a lot of these early testing programs. We're evaluating different ways to integrate these things. But the value prop to us is we're not going to spend money like a lot of money on the training. We're just going to take the benefit of that pre-trained model with our own sort of flavor on top. Yeah. So Stuart, putting your cap on where you obviously were in public markets and not exactly in the equity markets per se, but like I know that you keep a close eye on this and we're going to get to the private markets a little bit because I think that's a really interesting discussion. But when we talk about the market cap gains, Microsoft has gained a half a trillion dollars in market cap based on a $10 billion investment in open AI. You think about at one point, Google had lost $100 billion in market cap. Amazon just joined this party. So like the numbers are staggering when you think about it. So Microsoft's a $2.5 trillion market cap. The idea that the winners are going to be set and the losers are going to be set in the first half of 2023 just seems a bit goofier. How do you think about it? So thinking about what's transpired in the public markets, but also as somebody who's running a company, right? And you guys are always evaluating all these sorts of platforms and in, in these new entrants and the different ways to utilize this in a, in, a, in a way that makes the most sense for your business. How are you making sense of this? And is it coming at you a mile a minute here? Are you guys spending more time than you ever would have thought on just based on this kind of, I don't know, it's a bit of a euphoric moment for me when I think about over my last, let's call it, two and a half decades in the markets, I can put my finger on other periods when we had these sorts of 
deemed to be tectonic shifts, at least the way they've been reflected in the markets. But that near-term hype always settles down a bit, and then we can see the forest for the trees a little bit. Yeah, I think that's right. I think we're in the maximum, the apex maximum of the hype cycle at this point, because everything is possible, right? AI can do anything. And of course, over time, we'll realize it can do like three things, but really well, right? So that'll be really good. My view is maybe not as optimistic. I'm a little jaded from all the hype cycles over 20 years or so from that experience that you just mentioned. I think what's most likely going to happen is the big companies that you're already seeing, the valuation increases, they're there for a reason. And they're there because of all the things that Trevor just mentioned. They have a ton of money. They can train these models. They already have the infrastructure. They already have the hardware. They've already done it. And so I see this as a cost reduction or efficiency mechanism, much in the same way that cloud was like Amazon's internal way of doing business, right? So they had their own server farm and they said, hey, let's turn this cost center into profit center. This is a great idea. We're going to sell some of our excess capacity outside of peak to other people. And I think that's happening with Bard and Google and all that other stuff and these other big cloud provider techs. And so I think that's the natural place that's going to be. Obviously, Azure, Microsoft had their own issues, right? Because it's very small in some way and they were sort of a laggard. And so their interest in open AI, I don't know, the, the inner or the little guy, Adami in me, so, yeah, you see where I'm going with this? I yeah. don't want to, I, don't want to, I can't get that visual <laughs> in my head well, now. The little guy in me yeah, thinks yeah. that something that was non-for-profit, that then is for profit, and if you're Elon Musk and you put that money in, I don't know if that's a lawsuit or a lawsuit waiting to happen, but something's going to happen around that. He put like $100 million yeah. in his own money, right? Like yeah. Elon did. yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And then you're like, hold on, this yeah. is non-for-profit. I'm I, really, thought, I thought I, I could I, help I Tesla and all this stuff. First time I've ever felt for him. I, yeah, there was a, yeah, that's a check for him, right? Yeah. That's at least a couple and of times. Until he challenged Mark Zuckerberg into a case, right? <laughs> I can't wait for that. I put these two things together. Think of the ridiculousness <laughs> that's going on in the public markets at, on a split screen and then that. Reddit told me that Elon's mom canceled the fight. So, oh, no, really? Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. I don't know. That's what Reddit told me. Those are two guys that literally just need their mommies to, like, to hug them 100%. more when they were younger. I think, really, that's right. I think that's what really Yeah, and look at how on. the world benefited Isn't from that. Isn't it amazing how Zuckerberg went from being an absolute villain like six or seven years ago and yeah. the world over? Like, he was like the biggest Bond villain yeah. that you could think of, like, on like alive on the planet. And now it's just like the tables have turned a little bit. Yeah, Elon. he's trying to humanize himself like all good robots would should test, learn, and iterate. And he's worked out that the first best AI robot is Elon Musk. And he's done that, right? He's been approachable and all that stuff. I think Zuckerberg is, okay, if I need to be liked. And so there is a job to be done in, in Washington and with the broader public because you're basically a politician, a global politician. He's just, he's basically following the same mandate as Elon, in my view. They a lot of beef, those two guys, for years about AI, about like more sci-fi sort of stuff, like in your, right? A, a little bit because Elon, although when, I guess when he invested in OpenAI, they were really thinking about it being open source, B, being like out there to be regulated and to be thoughtful about it. And I guess the turn that Sam Altman took, turning it to a for-profit and then partnering with you guys, maybe you're too younger, maybe Trevor, I don't mean to like, like Microsoft was the evil empire, 80s and 90s as it relates to tech. They took the mantle from IBM, right? Like from the 70s and 80s. And it's just funny in a way that now Microsoft is two and a half trillion dollar market cap, the second largest company in the US behind Apple. And they seem to be like the good guys where Elon has always been like really worried about this sort of technology. You, I know that you, Trevor, are really interested 
in sci-fi, but you're obviously a technologist and you're looking at all this sort of stuff. Do you have those sorts of worries that like there's some sort of process? Because we went through this thing. Wasn't it Google that they had some engineer that quit, was supposedly a whistleblower and said that Bard had reached some sentient uh, yeah. sort of thing? I don't know it? about that. When we start talking that, I'm like more about aliens in terms of really? where. Yeah, <laughs> more aliens. like Prometheus yeah, stuff? Yeah, Is that yeah. what no, we want to go? The, or? No, the disclosure. Exactly. We need some disclosure for sure. Oh, really? But if we're going down that route, that's where I, my, my mind goes. But on the Microsoft side. Yeah. <laughs> just oh, let's go, go, yeah, go, let's go, go back, back to, to that. that. Yeah. Let's um, keep it on the rails. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> okay. Sorry. So any anytime Stu comes in, we're just, uh, it's going to yeah, get no, 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 It'll be like, off the rails. I guess that's I mean, why we this brought him. the end of the like, day. It, it's like <laughs> the NASDAQ screaming. I'm sure. Let's have some fun. Let's have some fun here. That's all I'm saying. Microsoft, the way they were able to pull that off was by making that like strong appeal to developers, like the acquisition of GitHub, the move towards even within their operating system, they've changed their strategy to become like developer focused, developer friendly, because they saw that's where it needed to go next leg. And I think they've just, they've nailed that. I think the open AI integration and everything there, it's just like more credit to the fact that they are dialing in on what does it mean to actually who controls the future of what gets deployed where it gets deployed. It's ultimately like engineers sitting on these teams that are making these decisions. And so if you tap into that and you align the way that you do work and the types of tools that you offer, like GitHub being the biggest place for global code collaboration, you end up attracting the business. So it's interesting. Satya Again, when you think about the acquisitions they made, the mm. investments they made, it seems to be like he like they've really been positioning this way for years. And the same time when you think about Sundar over at Alphabet, okay, like he proclaimed, I think it was like six or years ago, we were an AI first company and they were just keeping their heads down. Does the GitHub thing, does that change the game in a way? Because has Google not played well in the sandbox with independent like developers? Is Have they become like the kind of walled garden in a way when you think about their productivity tools, you think about their monopoly on search and advertising? Their business is so big. I think from a developer perspective, Google's always been like very good. They have some of the best technology. Like the way that most companies that are cloud native and just the general way that people deploy and put their product out into the world is on the back of Google services that became either open source like Kubernetes or are like major warehouse types of standards like BigQuery. Google's been very, I would say like to a fault sometimes developer focused, but they are the ones putting out a ton of these standards. I, what's really interesting about GitHub in particular and the mindshare that Microsoft then gets from developers is now as they stitch in GitHub as this new product called Copilot, which is basically just actually <laughs> code completion. Do we use some of that? There's, we have some people. There's, yeah. yeah, we're dabbling a, a, around. But it's, it's like a code, no code. No, it's or, just like how do you augment and actually take care of a lot of some of the, really some of like the less interesting, more procedural tasks of engineering, which is just the right way to set up your integration tests, the right way to format, a lot of quality of life things. So that developer focus ultimately for technology especially for like cloud infrastructure companies is the thing that over time you can have the biggest marketing but this is something we talk about all the time especially in our industry where fintech is dominated by marketing heavy players that has alpha decay on it ultimately you can raise money you can put the money into brand and marketing but that decays way faster than your product and that's really where we've been oriented and the way we think about it that's the way that i think these bigger Cloud players are thinking about the longer term. You just need to have the best product and you need to be appealing. So you just mentioned, though, that you think AI is going to be good. A few things. And I know you're being like a little 
But like right now, there's this obsession of these chatbots, right? Any major tech company, Meta, for instance, they were the metaverse company in late 2021. Then the stock literally declined 80%. It How's it going now? Yeah. And now it's gone from 88 to 288 this year, like literally off the lows from late last year or so. And so there's a lot of excitement about what they're going to be able to create, not in the metaverse anymore, like what this chatbot does. Again, they have... WhatsApp that they've never figured out how to monetize, right? They were going to do this digital coin and that mm. was going to be the currency of the metaverse, but now they're off the metaverse. So like how has a chatbot, the investment in a chatbot saved this company, which is basically now just Instagram for all intents and purposes. And then I'll also take it back to our main man, Elon. Think about this last leg from about 200 to 250 in Tesla. It really is. And this is over the last like, kind of month and a half. It's excitement about what they've been doing in robotics, like their AI capability as it relates to self-driving. It just seems like there's a mania that has bubbled up on mm. stories that the fundamentals are not particularly great on. I think all those are good points. For Meta, it feels like one narrative after the other. It feels like they're chasing the ball instead of leading. And I think the market is broadly, is flush with the liquidity relatively to the beginning of the year, as we mentioned in that podcast we were on. And so for Meta, I think this chatbot thing is just what it feels like 2015 or 2016. Yeah, was that 20, when 2015, 2015 calls yeah. called it and <laughs> wants their chatbot back? Yeah, exactly. I, think, I don't know. I get excited about AI as a tool that can unlock other verticals that are also innovative and new. And so at the moment, we're just going back to what we know. And it's very hard for humans to interface with AI at this point. And so the chatbot's always this natural interface. Where like customer goes, service, your point yeah, is like about always six that. or seven years ago, we were inundated with these chatbots yeah. and customer service and we all hated them and we moved on, yeah. right? And we were happier to talk to, let's say, a call center in Bangalore again. You yeah. know what I mean? Be from that experience. Yeah. And so if your AI can sound like a human, which is, it's pretty darn close right now, maybe there is an unlock there. So there's an unlock. But again, it's a cost efficiency. It's not It's not driving anything yet. I get most excited when AI gets combined with things like robotics and, and those kind of things. I think then you get real innovation, you get real productivity and value unlocks. And so I think that's where AI is going to be the most useful. When you look at the cl big cloud providers who are going to be successful, I think the way that they look at AI is a driver for their cloud business. I'm th I think that they sit there mm -hmm. and they go, we got this huge thing that's printing cash. How do we get more? And so AI is the cherry on top. It's like this BI part. It's this efficiency mechanism, cost-cutting mechanism, of which the best AI, you, when you make a cloud decision, you're going to go, well, Google's the best. Let's go for Google. And that's how they're going to monetize and win this. AI is not going to monetize at this point, right? In my There's opinion. no like real commercial application. No, I have to charge for the chatbot or whatever open AI are doing. I do pay $20 a month, I should add, but <laughs> yeah. I'm one of those mugs. Yeah. But I thought about canceling it the other day. I'm like, I'm not really using it. So to me, the cloud providers are like AI. And when Google say that, I think they think, hey, we're going to monetize this through our cloud. And so you look at AWS, they're heavy on startups. Startups have gone sideways for a year and a half, right? And so it makes sense that you said that number goes down. So I think how you trade this and how you look at this is you watch this race for applications that Trevor's talking about, how they can integrate with corporations, with fintechs, with startups and all that stuff. And then really it's like watching that early cloud-based data tick up. And if the AI is drawing more cloud spend, go for it. Those are good stocks you should own. Listen, that's a great point. Like literally you just put your fast money hat on because yeah, again, no, but this is really important. And I want to move into like how it's going to be used in fintech and how you guys are thinking about it and stuff. But like, for instance, 2023 was supposed to be the year of like downward earnings revisions for a lot of these big mm -hmm. platform companies. And to your point, when you saw a deceleration coming off the pandemic hangover in a lot of these cloud-based 
consumption models too. It's actually offering the ability for investors to think about, oh, we might see a reacceleration and therefore maybe that's why valuations should continue to expand. So I get that. I mean, that is something that even if you're slightly bearish and you think the hype cycle is nearing a sort of peak, you got to be cognizant of that. Like that sort of psychology can permeate investor sentiment longer than you can be skeptical about it too. So let's bring it back home here to you guys a little bit. What is this moment meant for you in a way? You guys have tried and messed around and you've invested in and you've used a lot of these different things, probably in the background, some of the things that your customers will never see. And that's the point, right? You're making a more seamless sort of offering and a service. How is this moment, at least all of the interest that you're seeing by both public and private investors, has it made you guys rethink, let's say, your product roadmap or how you might integrate technologies that were on this side of the whiteboard when you're thinking about like the not so distant future? Yeah, I mean, from just like the from the high level, at the end of the day, AI doesn't do anything unless it has actions on which to perform, right? right. So for to Stu's example, like if you're just using ChatGPT, yeah, it's going to maybe help you write some emails, or but it has a very limited application. It doesn't go and do something for you. And we're still at the point where you have to still create things that actually perform those actions. And when you look at the products, what AI eventually does is it can add a layer of automation or intelligence on top of what needs to get done. But we're still in a place and still like the technology transformation of a lot of businesses. It's still in this early phase where we're still just creating the actual thing to be optimized. Like intelligence and everything comes later. But right now, when you look at, for example, our ecosystem of financial products, that's still undergoing very early stages of major digital transformation. We're one of the few companies that actually has a fully cloud-native banking core. Like most of people's money runs on siloed old technology that doesn't have the ability to advance. And so we're still like, AI is going to be great. I'm sure it's going to make like awesome optimizations and some really cool improvements to the way that people look at their money, the actions that, is, that are recommended that they take. But we're still at 1% of the overall digital transformation of these types of financial products and services. That's 1%? Where, yeah. Wow. There's so much more. There's so much more that can so be done. So when will you guys, when it's what percent, will you change the name to current.ai? Did we buy that? Can we, we, can we just quickly buy that before this airs <laughs> and someone tries to extort no, this us? this is going to drop in 24 hours. <laughs> you guys have a little, you have a little, some time. You have a little time here. Sorry about someone that. Someone <laughs> But that's your AI moment. No, sorry about that. I got you off track there a little bit. Yeah, but that's an amazing thing. No, yeah. And so when you think about, I think in fintech in particular, I think Stu has a couple of like pretty strong ideas in this space too. But for me, it's mostly around how do you get per better personal insight? Spotify dropped this DJ thing. I don't know if I'm in the beta or not, but like this idea that- I'm like, in that too. Yeah, for, for years, yeah. Spotify, for example, has been generating these awesome daily mixes that are like actually for me, like very intelligent. Yeah. And all they've done is just repackaged that and made it personalized in a way that is very yeah, meaningful you, to me. You know what's crazy? Like Guy and I yesterday were at SiriusXM and they obviously own Pandora. We do our Monday market call now on SiriusXM. You guys can tune in at noon Eastern each Monday and call in uh, and ask Guy and I a question. But Guy's talking about his Spotify playlist that has 768 songs. I'm like, dude, we're in Pandora's office. And I reminded him, <laughs> okay, I reminded him, yeah, I was like, Aaron's over Classic. to like, I reminded him that Pandora was initially, you ready for this? In the mid-aughts, it was the Music Genome Project. Remember no, that? Yes, that's what it was called. It was a first streaming service. This was yeah. pre-mobile. Mm -hmm. It was desktop. You went through, you put, basically, it's covered a bunch yeah. of... 
a bunch of data, but that was machine learning. Yeah. And then you would thumbs up, thumbs down these oh, yeah. different tunes and this and that, whatever. And then it would create the playlists yeah. for you. So yeah. this so stuff's like, been here. Yeah, exactly. This stuff, that's what I'm saying is it's just a repackaging of what already exists with some, okay, now he knows my name like this. And I'm calling it he, because that's now it's like, it's creating this persona identity. And that's probably where AI starts to come in is like actually sounding like a human and doing these things. And maybe that's that next level of connection and emotional relevance to members. Do you guys feel like, do people want that? You know what I mean? Or is it a generational thing? And again, I know that you guys have a, a great stronghold with 20 somethings and the like here. That is a demo that's probably going to become very familiar with this sort of thing. They're not ones to walk into a bank and yeah. that sort of thing or I'm, call up a call center in Bangalore or something. Yeah. So just complete the thought of how that translates into current is that for to get based on people's historical activity, to get more insights about things that you could be doing differently or offers that we may have that, that are relevant to you. Like that, that's really where the next sort of personalization recommendation comes in. And we're pretty much in the place where we can start making those optimizations. And so that's probably where we'll be leaning in. And then we'll be leaning in a lot on the customer service side, which is like, how can we help people feel more supported if there's an exception or if they just want more handholding on a complicated thing of like, how do we get better about explaining financial products? How do we get better about communicating? So very paradoxically, like the machine is just facilitating better human connection, better human communication. That's one of the unex unexpected things for me personally, is that's where it's been most impressive in this latest, latest wave. Yeah, I totally concur. I think for finance, AI, we're scratching around a little bit in my view, because it is a content match. It's a language model. Let's call it what it is. It's a large language model that gets exciting between languages for finance or currencies. And so that gets exciting between currencies and between potential stocks, pair trading, things like that. So I could see in a whole investment angle to AI. And I'm, look, I've seen that for 20 years and I haven't seen it done really. And if you see it really, it's probably in a hedge fund. So maybe that unlocks something there. Obviously, everything that Trevor just mentioned, I think is spot on. I think it's from a corporate side. I still feel that we're going to see efficiencies, which will mean we can grow quicker means that we can do things that other companies can't do. From most corporations like ours that are fully cloud native, that have their data governance in order, which is, by the way, not a lot, right? As you, if you, you look under the cover, it's yeah. really hard to get your data in the right place. Then you can then start taking advantage of AI, machine learning, all these buzzwords really, to really drive that sort of order of magnitude or a gain that you're looking for. And then those products experiences and all those things can come after. I think we're at that stage. We're at the stage where everyone's, okay, cloud providers are providing all these things. That's cool. We're in the cloud. Let's get our data in order. Let's plug it in. What can we do? What does it look like for our business? BI, I think, is going to be the big thing first. It's like a lot of companies are going to go, wow, there's second or third order effects that we didn't know how our business was working. Now we can focus on them and be more efficient. So we've been in the midst of a crypto winter, Web3 winter. We know that, let's say- It's been cold. No, <laughs> it's been cold. But like we know in the private markets, valuations have been suppressed. A lot of VCs have been sitting on their hands and waiting to see some sort of what the lag was to the public markets. But the NASDAQ now up 30% on the year, a lot of people feel we're out of the woods to all the points that you just made, productivity gains and the sorts of things. Like I think a lot of people are saying to themselves, Okay, even if we have a shallow recession, I think what's going on here in technology and when it moves from these major platform companies to other parts of the economy, we're going to basically be off to the races again in a new bull market, a new economic cycle. And we work through all of these kind of 
weird pull forwards from the pandemics and then the hangover, that sort of thing. And that's a pretty rosy way to think about it. That's what the public markets are saying. How are you guys thinking about it? I know, Trevor, you have lots of friends who are probably building really cool things. They were probably waiting out the environment a little bit as far as capital raising and the the like here. Does it feel like switch was flipped in the last few months or so? Is we talked about the IPO market. That is definitely something. Once the IPO market turns on again, and then we see all of this focus that had been on, let's possibly mark books at VC firms and a couple down rounds of this. Now it feels like we're crossing that Rubicon a little bit. So I'm just curious, does it feel like there's some light at the the end of the tunnel, at least in the kind of ecosystem that you live in? From my perspective, for sure. Just general optimism. And I think you see that a lot because throughout all of this seed stage has still been like early stage has still been pretty unaffected. Well well, well enough funded because I think what that speaks to, it's almost just looking at like a longer term, like a yield curve effectively, which is we think that overall, this is still the direction. And we may not be so sure on on our two-year or in, in the front end of the curve, but ultimately, there's still that belief that we're part of this larger transformation. There's still a lot of opportunity in the future. And yes, we're very impacted and sensitive to like the immediate what's going on now, but it's always been like we're working towards something that's ultimately much better than what I don't know how good this is for individual people because it is still like a major deflationary type of force, but that's really Stu's wheelhouse. He's got a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, the Fed wants unemployment. If AI comes out the way we want it or the way that the people think it, it, it's going to happen. We'll see it. So that's never normally that good. I think the way to look at the markets from the private maybe is a bunch of different ways. Maybe two simple ways is the AI side that you just narrated when that comes in. Sure. I think that'll be a real thing. And we'll see bottom line efficiencies and products that come out that would be very exciting. I think for the more immediate term, what this is doing is creating a new narrative for private companies. And they need that because they raise sequential funds, which are probably high watermark for the last three years. And so for them, AI is like the savior that has been driven by the generals of the S&P. And so they can latch onto that and like squint at it and go, okay, we could probably raise a new fund. We can do all this other stuff, return some DPR. I think that is unlocking the private markets a little bit. That and the absolute level of the public markets. Remember in the last year and a half, there was major over allocation because the valuations didn't reset as much as the public because obviously for obvious reasons, there's liquidity in the public markets. There is less liquidity in the private markets. And so now the S&P or whatever, the, whatever index you look at has now gone back and is pretty strong. That ratio for their LPs, their pension funds, the sovereigns, the PE firms, all those guys, who were then over-allocated on the downturn. Now they're saying, okay, let's look at the private markets again. Maybe not all of them are like terrible. And I think what you're seeing right now, to Trevor's point over the last, say, two months going forward into Q3 the summer, is quality assets, quality companies that are doing real stuff, real tech in our world, are probably going to be valued highly. And there's a whole bunch that won't be valued at all. And I think before, maybe six months ago, everyone's like, it's all over, they're all depressed. And suicide or whatever they were doing. And so now I think there is some like vivor, there's some front foot action. We're certainly getting calls into current. And so I think there is a mindset change. I think that was from also the debt ceiling resolution. It really was an overhang. 
Hey, listeners, it's Dan here. I want to tell you about a company that I'm really excited about. It's called Current. It's a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. I'm a new Current customer. It's already helping me and my entire family manage our finances, all from one easy-to-use app. So try Current for yourself and get the app by going to Current.com slash OK. That's Current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. There was a headline last week that Robinhood, again, $9 billion market cap company, is down probably 80% from its post-IPO highs a couple years ago. But it's interesting to think about. They have $6.3 billion in cash, less than $3 billion in debt, and they just bought X1. So this is a credit card startup for $95 million. When you see stuff like that, and this is definitely in your backyard a little bit. What does that kind of make you guys think and how you think about your roadmap? And I know that we spent a lot of time, Trevor, talking about your high yield savings account. You guys must have been one of the first that did that, I think, late last year or so. But you guys are moving into some credit products. When you see a Robinhood do something like that, what does it make you think about the landscape right here? Beginning at 22, we did the 4%. Wow. Yeah, you, were thinking that, 22. you were thinking that, weren't you? Yeah, you were like. <laughs> so right when, the, was this <laughs> we were first. Was just right around when the Fed raised interest first, rates for the first the time first. in March of We recognized wow. the yeah. landscape change and pull, and we did obviously quite well with that. So for Robin Hood, firstly, yeah, in our backyard, literally in our backyard, X1 credit card company, hard to go against Cap One Chase. I can see why they're probably like, wow, that we probably bit off more than we could chew, right? That Those guys are really competent. And well-funded, great balance sheets. And it makes sense for Robinhood. Look, if you look at the trading, I know retail are going crazy on zero-day options and all that other stuff. But for them, they have a great brand. It makes sense for them to probably try some stuff out. They're probably looking at focus and going, you know what? 95 million, not a bad deal for it. It probably cost us 50 to 100 to do it. And the thing about credit cards specifically is you have this really big J-curve. You've got to put a lot of capital in to, to really train the models. To Trevor's point, you can go back to that. And learn, right? Risk models have to learn. And so they're probably going, you know what? This is pretty close adjacency into our existing demographic that we're serving in in investing. Let's try and get this credit card and see if we can get any cross-sell there. That's what I think they're doing. I think it's great for the industry. It's great for the sector because there's interest. There's M&As finally happening, which I think is healthy. And there's value. It's showing that there's value out there. I think maybe Trevor can go into some of our credit stuff that we're doing. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a it's timely to see that in the market for sure. And I think what will really show the success or failure of that type of acquisition will be how well it becomes integrated within the overall Robinhood ecosystem. Because I think a big principle that we've had that we believe in is that one of the major factors that that is to our benefit is the convenience that you can bring across historically very disparate financial products. It's the way that we're approaching credit as well as it's not about launching a credit product, it's about improving our banking product through a credit product. And this is the way that we've approached it with savings. If you've used current, if you've used our savings pods, you know how well that's integrated within the overall flow of how you live. That's how we're approaching credit as well. And so I think it's really at the point of being able to make sure that you're getting as a customer, the maximum connectivity and the full ecosystem and connecting to all of the sort of components that exist in a single place. Robinhood's been amazing about that, by the way, across all different types of trading products and really aggregating that into a single thing. I think they they have the right sort of mindset and strategy. It'll be interesting to see how they pull in. They've taken some forays into banking historically, some forays into credit. We'll see like how that goes over the next few years, probably as they really mature that and go forward. But it's that 
that is really like the, I think the way that you win in our space, we're playing in a very different demographic. We're playing in a sort of a lot of different value props, but we're taking this ecosystem approach, which I think is one of those things that if you can connect people across all of your products, you're effectively getting an internal acquisition cost very low. At that point, it's really about how well you can message and communicate to customers as long as you make that connected. Let's talk because an, an, another thing that I think it was just great timing on your part and probably wasn't great timing. It was for a couple quarters for Robinhood. The crypto was a huge part of their revenue in early 2021 and then it just crashed. And then that was literally, I think, one of the things that people were looking at Doge volumes. And that was, I think at one point it was like, half of their revenue or something in the first half of 2021 or something like that. And so I know that you guys are really thoughtful. I know that you guys have been in the space for a very long time and you happen to intro your product. Just maybe it was dumb luck, but it was great timing when sentiment was getting washed out. So we've had this move here. And I think the fact that BlackRock has filed for a spot ETF, what, what did that mean to you guys? Because there's been a lot of attempts at this, yeah. right? And there's been, it's been a really tough few months or so when we look at some of the stuff, the action that the SEC has taken versus Coinbase and Binance and some of this other stuff. So what's going on here? We have Bitcoin back at 30000 It's over a half a trillion dollar market cap or so. Give us a sense for what's going on right here, because yeah. it feels like this BlackRock moment is like a real moment here. Stu and I have been, have been in this, have been around this space for a, a long time. And so there's been so many of these ups and downs and we're still committed on this like longer term. This is where money is going. It's where a lot of the ethos of what we were doing in the very early days and that has stayed with us throughout the lifetime of the company. So it to us, market timing on when you release that product, yeah, it's a call option on trading activity. But like over time, what's important is that our members are getting connected to those systems, right? Because that is where a lot of money eventually will go. It's as you can go through all of the most likely reasons why there was such a push down on the private companies and like non- legacy or major companies in Bitcoin right before now some of this news is starting to come out. But this is just where it was always going to go. This is still inevitable because it is still a very clear escape valve to fiat systems. It has a very clear purpose. It is proven that it can work like for Bitcoin in particular and for some of the other applications as well. It would be irresponsible for us not to have that as the future progresses. Yeah. And so, Stu, how do you think about it a little bit? Because again, I know you guys really well. I know your products very well. We've talked about a little bit of your roadmap. So when you think about that, you just mentioned you were first to high yield or early to, to the high yield savings as soon as you thought the mm -hmm. Fed was going to start aggressively raising rates. Obviously, you just went through how you guys think about credit, but this is cryptos right there in the middle. And again, this is not like confetti coming down when you buy $500 of Bitcoin. That's not what you guys are doing. You're not thinking about it from a trading revenue standpoint. You're really actually thinking about it as a financial instrument that works among these other products and services that you guys have integrated yeah. into your product? We see Bitcoin as the anti-dollar, which is probably why, or dollar to the minus one, or whatever you want to call it, because we print more and the purchasing power of the dollar goes down over time, just like every fiat currency has ever done. And so the theory or the ethos of us enabling access to specifically Bitcoin has been like, hey, not, if you've got any excess savings, this is not a bad place over time to dollar cost average into to protect the purchasing power of, the, of those dollars, no matter how small, it doesn't matter. And also, if there is a liquidity boom or whatever it is, you'll probably make a bit of money and you make some alpha on that, right? Make some growth on that. And so that's how we've seen crypto. Now, if I'm the 
trying to be the Joe Rogan of, of don't do of, that. I'm not, trying. Not I, no, I know don't you don't do like it. Podcast. I know, but I, Please. conspiracy theorist. Yeah. The SEC came out and tried to basically expunge crypto in America, but it was all because it was regulatory capture. It was like incumbents they wanted to do it. They didn't trust the new and up and coming uppity Brian Armstrongs and the Trevor Marshalls and the Gemini guys or whatever, Winklevoss twins. They didn't want those people running the financial infrastructure of the world or America. They just didn't want it, right? And so they were like, okay, you've made your money, but we're not going to give you regulatory capture. FTX is another good example. And so they pushed everyone to the sides and then at the same time talked out the side of the mouth and gone, okay, BlackRock, you're good. Here's the first time they come out. By the way, they've done five over 500 ETFs with a 93% success rate. They're going to succeed. That's going to be fine. Then we have Citadel, Fidelity, Schwab, all on the EFX side. You got HSBC, Hong Kong come out with Bitcoin alongside banking. Guess what? Current did that as well. And so it was toxic stuff a year ago, even in the beginning of this year. But now the incumbents that are captured by the regulators that pay them their fees and all that other stuff rub shoulder to shoulder. Now that they're doing it, now it's okay. Right? Now it's okay. So I think, you know, this long-awaited liquidity wave that we were waiting for, the pyramid of money ready to come in, is actually ahead of us at some point. Now, I don't know. I think now we've saw the depression of crypto because of all those things we just mentioned. And so we went sort of down to 16K, sort of bounced back to 20, 24, something like that. And now because these ETFs are listing, they're going to have to go and rip some to go and fund those. And so now we're seeing- they were 25% yeah. in, in, in a week. Yeah. That's what's happening. Everyone's yeah. filing an ETF all over the world, right? And so we get, we, it's going to be bid for a little bit. Then I think it's going to be Bitcoin to the minus, dollar to the minus one. It's like a bit more macro. Yeah, it's a natural state. Like yeah. we've been in such like a yeah. market dynamics of just access. That's what most of Bitcoin's run is. But then it evolves into its true purpose, which is escape valve. It's funny though, a lot of bullshit is just out of the markets, all these jokers on Twitter, all the, the crazy like the laser price, eyes. all that stuff. And that's good. And again, this could mark a near-term top. We had 15,000 late last year and now we're 30, so we're up 100%, but we're still down from 70,000 in late 2021. But I guess, you know, Jerome Powell had some comments. I know he's a, you're a big fan of Jay Powell. <laughs> Giving more credence to it as a risk asset, mm -hmm. Trevor. How do you think about that? Because again, we spend a lot of time on On the Tape. And when you come on, Stu, we talk gold with your old fuddy-duddy friends guy and Danny, who have always justify allocating small percentage of your investable capital there for a lot of the same yeah. reasons why you guys as the estate valve to fiat in a way I've always thought that I guess I'd much rather own digital gold if that's what you think is one of the major pillars of the bull case than actual physical gold, which is a bit clunkier to yeah, move around. Yeah, storage and costs and all, yeah, that, and all that sort all of that stuff. Good, so, uh, I mean, how do you how person. do you think about it, Trevor? The fact that gold has basically come in eight nine percent in the last few weeks or so, while this move, yeah, in Bitcoin. I mean, we're getting towards the natural state, but this has been where it's meant to go, like in the genesis block. It's banks on the brink of a second bailout, right? That's the spirit that's been there since the beginning. Did it make you nervous in March though, when we had this regional banking crisis? is where it acted, it, the correlations went to one. I mean, it literally just sold off as all other risk assets. Always it, does. Yeah, but Always does, right? It doesn't give me pause. That's yeah. just like, those are weighing scale versus, uh, yeah. what, what is it? Voting like, versus weighing. Yeah. Voting versus weighing. It would have been a legend if you busted out your laser eyes, like March 14 <laughs> or something like that in the throes yeah. of that. But it yeah. didn't happen. Listen, you guys are being, I think, very sober about this approach. I never saw you guys out there with your 200,000 by year end price predictions or anything like that. Yeah. Listen, gents, we covered a lot of ground here. I think that the AI stuff is really interesting because from a sentiment standpoint, think about just what we've all been through 
as you guys, as fintech founders in, in, in the midst of a lot of different technologies, how you think about it. You always have one eye open. We've gone through crypto in 17, and then we got into some other hype cycles, and we got into metaverse and web three the list has gone on fin, fintech it was its own meme for a mm. while you know what i mean in, in public markets i go back to it's still astounding to me that paypal had a bigger market cap at its highs you know that than bank of america think about that you know what i mean so we know how this stuff works it doesn't always go bottom left upper right or so but i think having folks like you guys on help dispel some of this stuff is really helpful so Stuart and trevor thank you for joining us thanks for having us see you again soon If you like what you heard, make sure to hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. We also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com.